This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's a Blood Red podcast courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along. As the Premier League takes time off, there's no rest for the wicked as we bring you the latest Reg chats. Talking of breaks, does Jürgen already have his eye on one come 2024? Steve Okarigi exit rumours continue. Can the Reds really cash in now? And with the window, what window? Having delicately closed, what is Liverpool's plan moving forward? Well, to get into all of that, we have resident Red Dan Kay and Mark Wakefield along for the ride. Gents, I hope you're both well. And Dan, I have to say, it's kind of three weeks into the new season and already we've got a week off of international break and needing to... to had things out. It's so disappointing, isn't it? As everything begins to hit its, its stride, bang, we get an international break. Yeah, I don't think there's many football fans around the country that welcome this particular break, which we're kind of it's a fairly standard thing now, isn't it? You know, generally comes in after three or four weeks at the start of every season, but it always gets on everybody's nerves just after you're kind of getting back into the groove of things after the long summer break and whatever. Everything goes on hold for a couple of weeks, so it's it's mildly frustrating, but the way to the way to look at it is we're already nearly halfway through it, aren't we? You know, the, the, this time next week we'll be building up to another weekend of Premier League action with Liverpool away at Leeds. So, um, like many like many Reds, I'm just hoping that all our all the Liverpool players manage to return unscathed and uninjured uh, without too many too much tiredness and too many miles in the legs. Um, probably helps, I think, a little bit that you know, Liverpool don't play till Sunday afternoon. I think the, the final matches will be what Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday next week. So that at least gives them a little bit of time to you know get home, do a little bit of training. Obviously, it, it, you've got you know a day and a half more than say if we were the twelve thirty Saturday game. So yeah, it is what it is. It's frustrating, but it's just nice to be having some semblance of a normal season. You know, this time last year, the season hadn't. We were still about a week, ten days away from the season starting, weren't we? Because obviously it was pushed back because of the delay to the previous season. So yeah. We are where we are, and uh, bring on the real stuff. You know when it when it when it begins again uh, next weekend. Yeah, I say forget the the double jeopardy around Reese James, the handball, the penalty, the the red card mark for for Liverpool fans. It's triple jeopardy, isn't it? During the the international break now with three games, it's kind of just crossing fingers on three nights, hoping that everyone comes through unscathed. Absolutely, but I think for honest, most Liverpool fans don't expect to see the likes of you know. Trent Alexander-Arnold and John Henson start. You know, we did. None of them got got them off from Southgate. Didn't get them in the Euros, and then obviously with Trent being injured, but none of them got um, a feature featuring last night against Hungary. Um, the only other ones we've got like so, you know, Robertson playing at right wing back for Scotland for like forty five minutes, and then that quickly got changed. But yeah, you know, certainly recent history, the last 10, 15 years, whatever it is, maybe longer. Though Liverpool's record with players going away on international duty is not great, especially with England, but. Like I say, I think most Liverpool fans looking at Henderson and Trent on the bench would have been absolutely delighted to see them not start. I know it's like they, they personally will want to be involved, but from a selfish point of view, they'll want to be wrapped up in Cottonwall, like Dan says, for Leeds a week, a week on Sunday. Yeah, most definitely. Right, Dan, in terms of the international break, though, when it comes around, there's always sort of quotes that appear that people perhaps get a bit free with what they're wanting to, to say, this, that and the other. And this time it's the manager, Jürgen Klopp. He's out in Germany enjoying some much-needed time off. And actually, on that point, really saying that in terms of his managerial career, he absolutely loves being a manager, but he doesn't get much time off. And there is going to come a point where he's going to need to take a break. And 
even kind of referencing himself, the, the end of his Liverpool contract in 2024? Yeah, and I think inevitably when quotes like that emerge, obviously only a few days after the news that Michael Edwards may be leaving the club at the end of the season, although we believe that Liverpool are still hoping to get him to stay, that you know, those those two new, those two bits of news, one on the back of the other, obviously is going to have some people panicking and flapping and desperately trying to see what does this mean, what does this mean for the future. I think you know sometimes we're all conditioned, aren't we, to kind of like particularly in the media to kind of you know, try and look too far ahead and try to you know designate meaning and certainty. And I think the reality of life and football, particularly in the you know the, the times we're living at the moment, is that. Sometimes there is there is no real certainty. You can't predict exactly what's going to happen a few years down the line. The reality is, if Jurgen Klopp does leave Liverpool in twenty fourth in twenty twenty four, he will have been at the club for nine years, which is a pretty good stint. Which will probably be, I'm guessing off the top of my head, probably the longest manager Liverpool would have had since Bob Paisley. I, 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 I haven't checked that, but I would imagine that's probably right. Certainly for a foreign manager. That you know that that's quite a rarity. So, obviously, he's been a revelation since he walked through the door in October 2015. The day he leaves Liverpool, whether it's 2024 or 2054, will be a sad day. But it was never ever going to last forever. But I just don't see there's a massive need for people to get themselves all bent out of shape and thinking and start worrying and panicking and and hypothesising about what will happen in 2024. That's a hell of a long way off yet. You know, let, let's try get through this season first and get back to winning ways and get some more tro- get some more trophies in the the cabinet. And I think I think the other kind of, the other point to bear that's worth mentioning as well is that, and I think this applies both for Klopp and for Edwards. Liverpool as a club, I think, is generally a lot better run than what it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. Obviously, certain individuals go, and they, you know they're impossible to replace directly, like for like. But I do have confidence that we're whether whether when it when it's Klopp who goes, when it's Edwards who goes, that the, the right structures are in place that we, that the club will be able to recruit decent replacements for them, and there won't be a massive falling off a cliff like we've seen when key players, key managers have departed in the past. But I think for now. 20, yeah, we're not even into 2022 yet. It's two and a half years away. So, yeah, we'd all love him to stay forever and ever and ever, but that's not going to happen. But for now, let's just rejoice in the fact we've got him and be thankful for that. Yeah, I suppose picking up on that point, Mark, it's a case of, I suppose, for a lot of people, we're kind of in a contract cycle for Jurgen Klopp that is a bonus within itself. A lot of people thought his last contract was going to be the last one, which wouldn't have been too far from expiring and that he would he wasn't even going to be signing a new contract beyond that. He is. But I suppose at the same time, that is always counting down. And with the news about Michael Edwards as well and the club wanting to still keep hold of him, nonetheless, it is kind of one of those where during an international break, you do begin to think perhaps a bit further down the track. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, no, certainly the, the Klopp stuff, I don't think his comments are anything new. I think those sorts of words that he said have been they've been uttered before by him. You know, he's said them times and times again. I don't think there's any too much reason to be concerned with that. Like Dan said, it maybe combined with the Edwards uh, rumours and stories that have come by the last few days, people might get a bit more touchy about it. But going back on Edwards, you know, let's say he's been at the club for 10 years. You know, 
most people don't stay at jobs for 10 years. You know, if they stay at a job for that long, that's quite a long time. So is that every right to, you know, to want a new challenge or a new, you know, something new to do if he wants to do that? So, but I say Liverpool will want to, to keep him beyond that. But like you say, three years away until Klopp's contract runs out is a long time. You know, Liverpool three years ago in 2018 were a very, very different club. They know he just qualified for the Champions League. A lot's happened since then. So in three years from now, a lot more could still happen. And like I say, the club probably will be, will they be looking to who will be following Klopp through the door, you know, uh, to replace him? You know, personally, they're looking like they're gearing towards Pep Blinders, maybe getting into that role, but, you know, it's still far too early to say, you know, someone else might become available who's one of the world's best managers at that point, and that might make them change their minds. But, yeah, it's still far too soon to be thinking, you know, what's going to happen um, in three years' time, like Dan says. Just let's just enjoy the fact that we've got one of, if not the top manager in club football at the moment, you know, brought silverware that most of the fans personally in my lifetime had never seen before. You know, the Premier League, you know, Champions League we won with Rafa, but Premier League something that's never been won in my lifetime. So let's just enjoy the fact that we've got him because, like you say, it's not going to last forever. When the time comes, it's going to be a very sad day. But for now, it's not, not something to be too concerned about, I don't think. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Dan, do you sometimes scratch your head in amusement and wonder that Liverpool kind of find themselves in the, the kind of position where off the back of this summer's transfer window, only one major summer, summer arrival, albeit to a squad that a couple of years ago won the Champions League and the Premier League the following year, the Club World Cup, within that time frame, as well as the Super Cup. And that people have to have a bee in their bonnet over something, whether it be a lack of transfers, whether it be a sporting director moving on, or even a manager perhaps talking about the end of their cycle at the club, when for 30 years the Premier League was elusive and couldn't be won. And now Liverpool kind of in this golden period, but not everyone seems to be enjoying it to its fullest. I do scratch my head, Gan. That's maybe one of the reasons why I've haven't yeah. got the chairman. You and I um, both. <laughs> um, well, yours is a different reason. I think we can blame that on Arsenal and Mikel Arteta, can't we? But that's that's another story. Um, this is the modern world that we live in. This is the modern football world that we live in. I think in society as well. Yeah, we are we are without getting too philosophical about it. We are conditioned to be unsatisfied, to always want more. The whole your business model of, of marketing is essentially based on that, isn't it? Making you feel a lack of something that you that you need to kind of fix. And I think football, and I think that is very much borne out in, in the modern football fan, and particularly with the obsession with transfers and transfer deadlines. Um, you know, it has become a kind of all-singing, all-dancing machine of its own, isn't it? With obviously Sky's, trademark deadline day with the yellow ties and yellow tickets and obviously all the media you know we've all kind of jumped into line and followed suit and I think football fans you know it, it, I think I'm right I, I think the first transfer window I, I think we're almost coming I think we're coming up on 20 years uh, next yeah, year I, I, 2002 I think it I think it was September then so so you, you now have a whole generation of football supporters who have been brought up with this kind of madness at the end of every August and at the end of every January. And it's become part of the footballing landscape, whether old fuddy-duddies like me, who, you know, whether we like it or not, that's the reality of how it is. Um, But uh, but, uh, it it kind of ties into the point I made before, that kind of, you know, Liverpool have Jurgen Klopp right now, as Mark said, arguably the best manager in the world, certainly the most charismatic. And and I I refuse to believe there's another, um, another... football manager on the planet who is better suited to our club. Um, 
do you know so you know some people always feel the need to um have something to be unsatisfied about to 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 want you know to want a little bit more to keep pushing that envelope and you know i'm not saying people should just rest on their laurels you know but one of the keys to Liverpool successes in the 70s and 80s was the ability particularly for managers like bob paisley to replace players just before they were getting past the best you know they, they very liverpool very rarely let a team grow all together arguably the downfall of the 90s was when that did happen under kenny dalgleish and under graham soon as a whole great team did get together and you could argue that that's when the 30-year drought started football's a different game a different animal now um so even if what you know even if I didn't particularly uh, enjoy some of the belly aching that's gone on on social media in the, last, in the last few days about why haven't we signed this and, you know, FSG out and all this kind of business. It's no surprise to me because this is the world we live in, this is the football world we live in. There do seem to me to be some from some football supporters who pri- who take as much pleasure and prioritise transfers as much as they do winning matches, scoring goals and winning trophies. And that's not a mentality that I particularly understand or care for, but it's a free country. And if that's what people if that's what people want to get wound up about, then good luck to them. But it's not for me. Yeah, what's your take on how the summer played out, Mark? Because we've not really we heard from Paul Gorst earlier in the week on deadline day talking about the transfer window, but we've not had a, a blood red podcast sort of time to be able to kind of assess and, and pick through it. And I just wonder what your take was on it because at the end of the day on the pitch it's been an unbeaten start to the season only one goal conceded that coming from a set piece a number of key players have come back from injury during the course of the summer and Ibrahima Kanate has been added to that number as well yeah I mean well certainly I mean if you said to me say four or five months ago Liverpool are going to bring in one player that being a centre-half who's probably going to play half the amount of games this season if that this season that's probably well one thing I wouldn't have expected it and two maybe slightly disappointed but like you say, when you look at the fact that the key players coming back, you know, Van Dijk, Gomez, Matip, like already the defence looks a little bit, certainly a lot more assured, you know, just because I'm looking at the Chelsea game, many times you could see like Van Dijk just pushing the back line up and like they didn't have that last year. And that's part of the reasons why, you know, they're not conceding as many efforts this time. Uh, you know, the Havertz header was a set, came from a set piece that can happen to any time. But yeah, I mean, there was, there is certainly some part of me, I can't deny it, that's, a little bit disappointed that we didn't bring in, say, a forward because you now I think there's just something going to be lacking there. I'm not sure what it is. Like whether it's, I think it's the fact they haven't got a reliable centre forward off the bench to bring off. We've either got Firmino, who is obviously the striker, but he's going to start the majority of games this season. But Jota, Mane, and Salah, whilst they are obviously all brilliant world class players in their own right, but they're not not that goal poacher who can just change a game if the game's uh, up against the wall. You know. Someone like Man United, they've got like Cavani. You've got, you know, you know, it's just, it's just Liverpool haven't got that sort of play for some reason because of that. Um, and the other thing that's slightly, I mean, maybe a little bit is like the, the Chelsea have got this Sony guys from Atletico Madrid alone, which I think, you know, I know there's this view of is he better than you know Fabinho, Thiago, or Henson? Maybe not, but does that really matter? You know, he's still a very, very good player. What the likes of Manchester City, Chelsea, and Man United have done is they've strengthened the squad. Now, they might not have as good a strolling or starting 11 as us, but they've got a good squad. Now, after that, you know, main t- three or four players, what's below that for us? And that's the course of concern that I've got. But like I say, the positives certainly outweigh the negatives. Now, we can talk about transfers till we're blue in the face, but let's not forget the year Liverpool won the league that summer. They didn't sign anybody apart from Harvey Elliott from Fulham. Now, I know they just 
got 97 points and won the Champions League, but they didn't sign anybody whilst everyone else signed whoever else. So, you know, like I say, it's this fantasy that, like Dan mentioned there, that everyone seems to be more excited about transfers than actually winning things now. And that's just this whole way the world is, whether it's social media, whether it's Sky with the yellow ties and all that sort of stuff. Who knows? But, yeah, I think it's more important to be focusing on what's going on right on the pitch. And <laughs> Gary Neville seems to think there's something wrong, but I'm not sure what he's looking at, to be honest with you. But, yeah, I mean, there's, there's certainly much more to be delighted about than there is to be negative about, that's for sure. I if I could just if I could just jump in, guys. Well, you know, I mean, I, 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 don't get me wrong. I would have liked to have seen another couple of players come in, and particularly you know, Mark mentioned Niguez then from Atletico, who Liverpool were linked with right throughout the summer. They haven't replaced Wijnaldum, and the fact that he's, he's only gone to Chelsea on loan, and it almost feels like Chelsea is stockpiling players, almost to stop other teams getting them. You know, that did feel a little. Doesn't bit, sound you know, like Chelsea. Like, that. No, it's, it's almost unheard of, isn't it? Um, that that did feel a little bit like the twisting of the knife. So I do get to a certain degree why, where some people are coming from. Um, but, you know, I think, as Mark made the point, you know, they, they, this is, the, but apart from Wijnaldum, this is essentially the squad that won the Champions League and the, the Premier League, plus Jota, Thiago, Harvey Elliott, a couple of others as well. And obviously as well, the club, you know, the re, whether people like it or not, the financial reality of, of the pandemic and how it's, you know, driven a bus through Liverpool's finances, and I know every club's finances over the last couple of years is a real thing. Manchester City, Manchester United, and Chelsea operate in a different financial stratosphere to Liverpool. And we, you know, and if Liverpool are expecting Liverpool fans are expecting their club to follow those, you know, in in the same vein, then they're going to be waiting a long time because that's not how they operate. We know Klopp likes a smaller squad as well, so you know, I. I I, I do, I do get where some of the concerns are coming from, and obviously, if Liverpool were to be hit with a freakish injury, injury crisis like they were last year in in an area of the pitch like midfield or up front, then we could look back on this as we were doing kind of halfway through last season, saying, "Well, they've made a mistake there. They've made a mistake there. They've taken a chance and it's not paid off." However, what happened last year was a freak occurrence, and um, particularly given the circumstances, I think we have to kind of give an element of trust to the the decision makers here. That they are trying to safeguard the financial, you know, not just the, the long-term financial future of the club, but the short and medium-term future as well. And by maybe being a bit more circumspect this summer, they're giving themselves the opportunity. If they need to do something in January or next summer, they'll more be able to do so. They'll 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 potentially be able to do so better now, rather than if they bought just for the sake of buying it. Because we know as well, they don't. You know, if they can't get the top targets, they're not necessarily going to go down a rung or two, which is a mistake that Liverpool have made in the past many, many times over the last 20 or 30 years. And I think for supporters who are old, old like me in their 40s, it's actually quite refreshing that, they, that they're not so trigger-happy now. You know, instead of, in the past, if we didn't get Danny Alves, we'd go and get Glenn Johnson. Whereas now, they're prepared to buy their time, trust in the quality of the, of the players they've got on the books and in the youth academy. And when the right, you know, we've seen when the right player is available, they will go and spend money. So, I also think on that they've, they've been happy to kind of allow those players to develop and nurture them within as well. Mm-hmm. We mentioned Harvey Elliott before the title-winning campaign. He and Sepp Vandenberg effectively, along with Adrian, the only signings. And now Elliott has come good. He's had that lone stay at Blackburn Rovers. He's come good. He's now part of the first team. And yes, it, it's not a new signing. It was one that was made two years ago. But now he is in a position to impact the first team, whereas when he first came in, he wasn't. So he is a new body added to 
Jurgen Klopp's first team for this season. And it is all a, a longer, more patient process, Mark, which I suppose we went right at the beginning of this of this podcast. We were talking about Jurgen Klopp and maybe his cycle will come to an end in 2024. But for me, one of the key things this summer that's kind of being forgotten about as well is not just the contract renewals, but how many of those players are signing on for until 2025, 2026, real long-term contracts, which means when the manager does go, the team's not going to disappear with him. Those elite players will still be there. It will be about having two and a half years to pick a prime candidate ready to step in and, and take take on if Jurgen Klopp isn't to sign a new contract. He, he may very well sign one. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, me, me personally, I'm not I'm not expecting him to. You know, like I say, nine years. I think you, like nine years will be a very very long time. Like like Dan says, he'll be the longest serving manager for best part of 30, 40 years. Um, you know, some of those deals, certainly the length of them, surprised me. I think the Henderson one surprised me the most. Here, twenty twenty five. You know, he'll be 34, 35, 36, around about that age. You know, some you know, his, James Miller is still playing at thirty six. If he can still have that fitness level at that age, but you now come twenty twenty four, twenty five, you know, I can't see Henderson being a main starter on the team. He'll certainly be captain more than likely, but you know, he'll be more of a, an, a cap leader, a figure in the dressing room rather than the regular star. That's probably the main reason why that is. But yeah, so there's no reason to panic with this whole this whole transfer window thing anyway. You know, at the day, you know, you don't win trophies and win games in the transfer market and with the bank balance, you win you win it on, on the pitch. And certainly the players that are on the pitch for Liverpool at the moment, provided they keep them fit, which you know we've always got to say we touch wood when we say that now, given what happened last year. Um but you no, know, we've just got to cl- trust Klopp and trust the recruitment. You know, last year they might have got it wrong, um, but they can't. You can't expect them to expect what to happen to happen to them last year with the with the injuries to the centre backs. And you know, I know we've got Afcon with uh, Salah and Mane going away in January, but they're only going to miss like two or three games. I think if I'm right, something like that. not too many games. You know, you can't expect them to go and sign a 40, 50 million pound striker just to say, oh. When we need we need you for these two or three games in the new year, that's it. And then the rest of the year you're going to be on the bench. You know, it doesn't work like that. It's not football manager or FIFA. It doesn't work like that. So, you know, as I said to you before, there's certainly a lot more reasons to be positive. And I think it's just supposed to be a bit more realistic in that. You know, football isn't one in the transfer market. It's one of the pitch as much as like some people from the outside might think otherwise. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I suppose though, in terms of transfer window and squad options, this, that and the other. Dan, the reports coming out from, from Turkey, albeit they are, it is speculation that Fenerbahce are interested in, in Divock Origi. Now, were a formal proposition put on the desk of Michael Edwards, surely this is one that has to be batted away straight away, albeit it's a player for the last two years, probably, that Liverpool have actually been looking to move on, but they have left sort of the, themselves short with numbers and personnel in the squad that can't really afford to cash in now should should a, a good offer be made because the Turkish window is still open for another few days. Yeah, it's, I mean, so much in life is about timing, isn't it? And if, yeah. this, if this offer had come in two weeks ago, it would be a completely different story because Liverpool would then be in a position potentially to go to go and bring, you know, bring another body in and in that area of the pitch. That was what we've been saying all summer, isn't it? You know, that's they were likely, you know, we, we all had our eyes on potentially, you know, another midfielder or another striker or both. But if that was going to happen, it would need the likes of Arigi, Shakiri, Minamino, some of these other players that were, you know, from the outside, we may be wrong, but were deemed to be surplus to requirements, would be moved out. The fact that it's come now after the window's shut, I think it would be, particularly bear in mind, obviously, we know that Bob, uh, Bobby Firmino picked up a, 
a hamstring injury at the weekend. Which he's apparently having a second scan. And I don't yeah, think the results of that are back he, yet. If I'm... Yeah, well, it looks like he, he could well miss the Leeds game and be a doubt for the, the Champions League game yeah. with Milan, doesn't it? So, I mean, the indications are are that it's not exactly, you know, it hope, hopefully touch wood, it's not a long-term problem. But, um, you know, the three of them, you know, the three front lads are all 29. Um, and, you know, obviously there's Jota there's there as well. But, but you do potentially, you know, you need at least five. You know, particularly three are always going to play. Sometimes you might play the four. And at the moment, Origi is that fit, is, is that fifth head. You know, it, it's had such an unusual... You know, when the story... When it finally comes to an end, the story of Divock Origi's career is like a gothic novel, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? You know, right from the start, it, you, you couldn't have scripted how it's gone. And it, it is worthy of being a Hollywood blockbuster. I, I think me, like most Liverpool fans, probably would have expected him to have been gone by now. And maybe in a perfect world, he, he would have been. The fact that he's still here... Just makes me wonder: Has he got another little rabbit to pull out of the hat somewhere? You know, if he never kicks another, if he never kicks another ball again, he will never ever have to buy a drink in this city as long as he lives, and probably neither with his grandchildren either. But he's still here. He's only what 26, 27? Yeah, he's, he's only twenty six. Yeah, no, 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 yeah, only yeah. twenty seven so, so in you, April. Yeah, there you go. So, so who knows? His peak years could yet even be ahead of him. But he's a very experienced footballer, and it goes back into what we're saying about before. You know. I, I do, you do get the impression that Klopp's mentality was right. If we can't get someone who we know is got has got the right technical attributes, is the right character, the right personality to fit into this squad, he would rather keep someone like Origi who isn't going to kick off if he only plays five games a season. Obviously, is is used to the group, is part of the group, is valued within the group, and you know has delivered with very little build up or very little expectation. Extraordinary moments on the pitch that have you know that have helped define an era. So, you know, I, yeah, I, I would be absolutely flabbergasted if Liverpool decided to sell him now. Now, now the English window is shut, um, and they may well say to Fenerbahce, "Well, look, if you're serious, come back in January at the start of January, and maybe we'll talk then." But for now, we can't leave ourselves short. It's interesting as well, isn't it, in terms of whether it's part of a wider sort of play from Liverpool, as you say there, Dan, that. Liverpool aren't going to sell now, but maybe they are waiting on an option. They're not sort of pressing ahead with a second or third choice because whoever it is is the first choice. That is who they want. And Mark, it's kind of lends back to the short short termism that we see in football. That Liverpool off the back of finishing third and having an injury ravaged campaign, not as much of a, an attractive proposition to maybe one of the top stars, i.e., Kylian Mbappe or even Erling Haaland, will be on the market next summer. If Liverpool are to go and win another Premier League title or get to a Champions League final, all of a sudden, they're straight back at sort of the, the, the top of the food chain, aren't they? Um, yeah, I suppose so. I see where you're coming from, Bobby. I think the whole you know, proposition of Liverpool should really just sell itself. I don't think Jürgen Klopp will want someone to come into the team just because they've won something. I don't think, I think that's always been the way it's worked, you know, regardless of where, I think he said that but, uh, towards the tail end of last season, he said, if someone doesn't want to come here because we're not in the Champions League, but does if we do, then we don't want them to get gone. We don't want you. So I think that's that's the way I don't think you know, whether we, Liverpool wins something. Obviously, if they fall down the pecking order dramatically like they did in the like under Roy Hodgson and that and the Kane Dalglish return era, um, then that might change things. But if they were towards like the top four or five, I don't think the whole you know proposition of Liverpool will change anything towards these players like Haaland and Mbappe. I think in terms of those two, I think it's just about the money, you know, in like Liverpool don't 
fork out funds into, for the money that they're going to pay in terms of a back, but that's going to be different because he's going to be on a free transfer if he goes. But to put it, then again, you've got his wages and whole structure dynamic of Liverpool is are they going to give someone who's just coming to the club who's 23 years of age, you know, three, four hundred grand a week compared to these players who you know work so hard to win things at the club and they're going to be on not one the highest earners. So that's that's the whole thing with that. But yeah, it's just. It's just weird that this whole how the, since the transfer windows closed, like they say, the whole negativity around. I just don't, I just don't get it. But that's just the way you know football has gone this last twenty years. You know, it's all about you know the immediacy. People aren't satisfied. Going back to what Dan said right at the start, people aren't satisfied anymore. You know, unless the way even when Liverpool winning games in game out in like a couple of years ago, they were still finding fault with things. And uh, as dare say, even if uh, but for some reason, I think if they beat Chelsea, I've just got a feeling if they beat Chelsea on on that Saturday. The move would be so much different, um, but yeah, going, going I just want to say going back to Riggy. I mean, even I like I take down the point that if they can't, I, I personally don't think they'll sell him. I don't think there's much going on. These rumors I've seen various things saying these rumors aren't true. I've seen things that they are, but you know, if some say family battery company said here's 10 15 million pounds, are they going to chance it? You know, Riggy wasn't hasn't even been in the squad for a couple of games, so are they going to chance it? I mean. If they offer that sort of money, are you going to really turn it down? But yeah, I think like if there is any real genuine interest in there from Fenerbahce, then the right thing to do would be say, yeah, if you're really serious, come back to us in January and then we'll talk. But for now, you know, I think they'll probably got to just say, you know, we're not taking any risks, even though he's not going to be one of the in one of the backup starters for Liverpool. He's certainly going to be in there if the time comes, especially in Ofcom when Solomon aren't going to be available. Yeah, it does feel as though at times though Liverpool are happy to try and cut those corners. Obviously, last year it really did spectacularly backfire on them, but for the couple of years before, there wasn't really a notable replacement for Trent if he were to have got injured. So, so Liverpool have done that thing where they have left themselves short and it has paid off. And I suppose it's a player that they've been struggling to to get off the books. So maybe if an offer were to come in, it would be something to to really think about. But Dan, I suppose just before we go, it is kind of all about that perspective that kind of Mark was was saying about, isn't it? That I suppose with Jurgen Klopp and during FSG's sort of tenure at, at Anfield, it's certainly since Jurgen Klopp came through the door, when people begin to get disgruntled and I suppose there is a bit of apathy towards what is going on, whether it be defensively, it's still not quite clicking and then Van Dijk arrived and things began to turn around or selling Coutinho and then all of a sudden the team gets upgraded in other ways. There is always a plan and it is about actually understanding that Liverpool don't get rushed into these decisions and they are always in the background calculating what the next move is. Well, yeah, I think I'm I'm pretty sure it's 20 years ago this week that Liverpool brought two goalkeepers on the same day, yeah. Jersey Dudek and Chris Kirkland. Now, I mean... And, you know, this is under Gerard Hule, who I think it's his birthday today. It would have been, yeah. Um, I think first first birthday since he passed. And obviously, yeah. you know, our thoughts are with his, his family and friends and what, you know, what a wonderful figure he was for Liverpool. But, you look, you know, you think about something like that, it, it, it would never happen now, would it? Because Liverpool have become a byword for planning an organisation and having a structure and a strategy and all and all the rest of it. So I, I think you're entirely right in what you say. Now, listen, it's... The human beings, not every plan works, not every strategy is paid off in full. And obviously we saw last season, not not just in the summer, but even in January, you know, that th- they got it wrong and it very nearly cost them. And, you know, it, it they just about salvaged the season 
by getting top four. But really, it was a miracle because you know the, the they, they made a mess of, of 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 January. Didn't bring Quebec and Davis in, or obviously Davis never even kicked the ball until right at the end of January. And obviously, this was the point when the, when Liverpool's season really started to circle the drain, and thankfully they managed to salvage it there. So no one's no one's trying to say that no one's trying to say that the people that make these decisions are infallible or bulletproof or, or beyond criticism. Yeah, we're all allowed to criticise. You know, it's a free country. That's one of the reasons why we all love football. Everyone's got an opinion. Um, but you know, the proof of the pudding is in the eating, and certainly over the last five, six, seven years. Liverpool's planning has has demonstrably been effective and has worked, and I think you know we say it till we're blue in the face. We've done all summer really. Um, you, you have you have to trust in their ability to learn from the mistakes and to make informed decisions in the best way that they can, and obviously hope for a certain degree of fortune and luck to kind of play their way. You you can have all the best preparation, all the best ideas in the world, but you still need things to go for you. And I'm not just talking about the break of the ball, the ball coming off the crossbar and going in or staying out, but people picking up injuries or people picking up form or the, the small details that, that can really have a big impact. But Liverpool have shown an ability to kind of look after those small details and get the basic principles of what they're doing right. And if they do, more often than not, they're successful. And over the last four or five years, I don't think there'll be many football supporters who have enjoyed the ride more than more than we have so i think we have to put our trust in the process trust in the people doing it while at the same time holding them to account you know which is what we're more than entitled to do at the end of the day those of us who pay through the turnstiles buy the shirts buy the tv subscriptions whatever we are effectively paying their wages so we are stakeholders we have every right to have our say but at the same time what's the point of criticizing for criticize for criticism's sake and it does seem like for some people that is what they do. You know, like Mark was saying before, it, you know, it, it would be it would it would feel very different if Liverpool had beaten Chelsea on Saturday. It would feel a bit it would be feel a bit different. But I bet you some people would still be moaning if it was nine out of nine and we and we just battered the European champions. That's just how some people are, and I've kind of long made me peace with it now. Yeah, final thing before we go, Dan, I wanted to to ask you about Gerard Houllier. Of course, it would have been his seventy fourth birthday mm. today. Unfortunately, as you said, it's his his first birthday or would have been since his passing and we spoke right at the beginning of how Liverpool have changed behind the scenes since bygone eras and I suppose he was one of the the, the, the forefathers of that of really bringing Liverpool into the modern age Very much so I mean it's well documented obviously that you know, he, he renovated Melwood um, he really kind of professionalised the club you know Roy Evans was a wonderful wonderful servant to Liverpool for 30-40 years an absolute key part of the of the success, last of the boot room boys. But um, the, the game of football was changing in the 90s. Liverpool were getting left behind and, and unfortunately the results were proving that. Hule came in, changed the mentality, changed us into winners, you know, made us feel like winners again, put us on the European map. And, you know, it'll always be, there'll always be that slight sense of regret and wonder, you know, if he hadn't taken ill when he did, you know, a couple of months after winning that treble in 2001, could he have made that next step and won the championship? You know, I really, really felt it was it was going to happen under him. Um, and you know, as is the case with a lot of people who suffer, you know, life changing medical situations like that, you know, sometimes it can have a, it has an effect on them. And he was never quite the same manager again. And you know, the, the end of the end of his Liverpool career was really rather sad. That the, the final season, 2003, was always it was like one, it was like a nine month trip to the dentist. It was awful. 
you know, you just you, the writing was on the wall in August. You just knew it was finished. It was. I think if I remember, I don't know if I saw a picture of it earlier today. I think he actually had like a leaving press conference, which is quite rare when a manager essentially gets sacked. But I think that that was really uh, indicative of 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 the respect the man was held, and even if things hadn't gone the way we all hoped for off the pitch, and it did get a little bit unpleasant towards the end. I'm glad that they gave him that. And even if maybe at the time I was probably a bit scornful, looking back on it now, I think God, you know, he, he, he deserved that. And thankfully, you know, you know he, he was welcomed back to Anfield many, many occasions after he left his role as Liverpool manager. And he will always be regarded as one of our greats. That you know, there's, there's no question about that in my mind. Yeah, and of course, landed the, the treble in 2001 as well, Dan and I, with the... Uh, serialised podcast last season of Julio's treble winners. Do go back through the, the Blood Red feed if you do want to listen into that. But for today's edition of the Blood Red podcast, that is all we have time for. From myself, Guy Clark, Dan Kay and Mark Wakefield, thanks for joining us. We'll be back on Monday. Until then, though, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.